0: Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense.
1: Whoa, it's us! We're in a lot of trouble!
0: Welcome to it. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour, the album of the day. Just picked this up this weekend over at the record shop. The Captain and Me, Doobie Brothers. The song is clear as the driven snow, and this takes me back to riding around with my dad. His arm out the window, he's got a weird tan, if you ever check out his left arm, because he's done so much driving with his arm out the window. Listening to the Doobie Brothers always takes me back to uh, hanging out with a good old dad. But enough about that. I've, As you probably can tell listening to the show over the last few months, I don't always talk about politics, and even when I do, I talk about it in a bit of a surly manner, like I'm a big curmudgeon, because I'm a bit burnt out on politics. Um, but my heart is still with liberty, whatever that means. Uh, I have somebody on the show tonight over the phone to talk about this, talk about what's in the news. By the way, Democrats and Republicans still don't like one another. Is that still going on? Yeah, that's still going on. Okay. But on the phone with me is Rachel Mills. Rachel, how are you this evening?
1: I am okay, Joey. It is rainy over here in Raleigh, so we are just sort of a little bit... Down in the dumps, but we're looking forward to spring and it's coming. Spring is coming.
0: Well, and whenever it rains around here, maybe it's the old hippie of me I put on Jimi Hendrix rainy day, dream away, <laughs> let the sun take a holiday. Uh, it yeah, it we've, we've been getting the rain here. I mean. I don't think our our weather that uh, different than North Carolina. Maybe a little bit, but uh, enough about the weather. I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really know how to introduce you because I think I first uh, saw you uh, when I first got going with uh, Liberty Me and all the podcasts they were throwing up there, and you were doing Liberty After Dark. Uh, you now have a new podcast, Rachel for President, and I mean you've been around <laughs> the political space for years now. Um, so, just kind yeah. of getting to know you, uh, like, if you give your elevator elevator pitch, what would you be all about politically?
1: Well, um, I'm a natural libertarian. I've always been a libertarian ever since I was 12 years old and looked around the world and, and just started observing things. I was like, you know what? <laughs> um, government doesn't make a lot of things better, but at the same time, you know, I guess... You know, maybe we need a little bit of government for, you know, a few basic things. But, you know, past that, they, they tend to, to screw up a lot. So, um, yeah, um, my, I guess my claim to fame really would be the five years that I spent on Capitol Hill working for Congressman Ron Paul yes. um, from 2007 through 2013 when he retired. And I was his communications director, his press secretary on Capitol Hill. I was in the congressional office, not the campaign. Those are two separate offices. Right. So, but I was in, involved in politics long before that. My, my entree into politics was something called the Lady of Liberty, Ladies of Liberty Calendar. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. You might not have even heard that. No. Before I've, your time.
0: I probably would have seen it and remembered it, but it was a calendar. <laughs>
1: It was a pinup calendar, and this was back in 2002 uh, when I first became politically involved. I was tapped on the shoulder to run for office at, at the state at the state level, and I was like, "Okay, how does this work?" And they're like, "Well, you you sign up, you pay a filing fee, you fill out some forms, and off you go." I'm like, well, where does the money come from? And they're like, well, you got to raise that. I'm like, well, I don't really know how to do that. Right. But uh, <laughs> what I can do, I think, is I can put together a fundraiser of sorts. And one of the problems at the time was that there wasn't a lot of very visible females in libertarian politics. But when I went to meetings, I saw them all around me. And I'm like, well, I see a lot of... Ladies of Liberty, so I'm going to put us all together in a calendar, <laughs> and it actually turned out really cute, and it actually garnered national attention. Wow! It actually got me an interview on the O'Reilly Factor, which is the show that used to be on. It's you know, oh yeah, some people Papa have Bear heard of it, yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> and also uh, Crossfire on CNN yeah. with Tucker Carlson and um, I don't know some other people. Uh, but yeah, so
0: I, I've, I've been in politics a long time well, and so, and I'm, I think I, I just did a search on this, uh, ladies <laughs> of Liberty, 2003. Yeah. I'm, yeah. That might be it. Yeah. I'm seeing some of the photos. That's cool. Really cool. Um, <laughs> like I, I, I have never been as involved as just from the little bit you told us there, I haven't been as involved As you, I've mostly sat back on my perch in the radio studio and bloviated. Uh,
1: But that's a good place to be, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't have to make any commitments. I'm not responsible for all the crazy things politicians do. I'm kind of... I mean, some might say it's the cowardly way. Get in the arena. Who are you to criticize, at least? But, you know, I I don't have to uh, get into the gladiator arena to know this blood sport is... There's something a little bit off about it, but I'm... You know, I don't want to be yeah. completely cynical about politics, because I'd imagine working for Dr. Paul, Congressman Paul, uh, was great work. Um, and I have to ask this first, though. That thing you said about mm-hmm. there aren't many women in the liberty space and the libertarian movement, and yet you kept finding women all around. Where do you think that comes from? Is it in fact true there aren't many women, or is it just something, a stigma that's out there surrounding libertarianism?
1: I think there's probably something to it statistically. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, there's just there's no denying that the liberty space is, is sort of dominated by men. But you can't make the case that there are no women. And I I sort of I subscribe to the ladies' night philosophy, which is if if you, hmm. if, if you give the ladies a free drink, that the men will come too, you know. So if if you make the, the liberty movement look like it's by for with women, you know, if you sort of put up women everywhere and make it look like this is for women, then it'll it'll attract women because they see it as for them, and at the same time, it will attract more men. So that that was kind of the philosophy I was going with there.
0: No, and it makes sense. And I mean, in my experience. Um, I mean, I I don't make it like an obvious goal of mine. Like, let's bring on women from the liberty space on my show or talk to... It just it kind of happens that way. I don't know. But here's one angle I want to take. The reason people get into politics, conservative, liberal, or progressive, libertarian, whatever the ideology or the the bent, people get into these things for different reasons. And I worry sometimes, say, when you show up to a conference or a a get-together of some sort... People aren't there just to talk shop and talk politics. They're looking to meet people. They're trying to expand their friend group. And this can... I don't know. What is your... got an agenda. Yeah. What is your experience in doing... I'd imagine you've been to so many events. And uh, and I think you told me a few days ago that you're a bit burnt out in some ways on politics like myself. Maybe what are the causes of that? It can't just be Dr. Paul retiring. Oh, no.
1: Actually, when I discovered... Uh, Dr. Paul's uh, presidential run in 2007. I was in a low point. I was very much burned out. I was like, you know what? I, I gotta put down my little pitchfork. Mm. <laughs> I gotta put down my little microphone and I gotta I gotta work on making some money. I gotta do for me because this is not going anywhere. you know, If I lead, it seems like nobody wants to follow. And yet they, you know, they they're pushing me to lead, but it's it's so sacrificial, and I'm not getting anything out of it. So I I got to go do something for me. Right. So that's where I was, and and then um, sort of by accident, I I heard him on the radio on a road trip back from the beach, and I you know, and I I was I listened to him sort of endearingly, like oh oh, listen to the lone libertarian on the stage. Yeah, he's. <laughs> really so smart and what he says really resonates but i know better i know that it doesn't resonate with anybody else in a larger audience and certainly not with the media and certainly not with the you know establishment parties and this is going to be short-lived and then i got home and i looked on the computer and i saw that he was blowing up the the polls like the opinion polls who won the debate and it was ron paul Mm. just you know Blowing them out of the water, and that got me interested again. And then for two weeks, I like sort of obsessively <laughs> watched videos, and then it ended up making a, a video myself that caught his attention. And and the rest, as you say, is history. But uh, so I'm I'm very well aware of how you feel yeah. uh, about feel, feeling burnt out and like it's all for nothing, and it, you know the the <laughs> we. We can't roll the the boulder up the hill. It's just going to roll back down on top of us and just feeling very nihilistic about politics a little bit. Um, but just, you know, take heart, little camper. It, <laughs> <laughs> it'll come back around. You know, just take a break if you need to. Think about other things and, and let somebody else shoulder the load for a while because you know, we, we need you. We need all of the voices. But it's okay if you need to
0: step back and just and take a breather. Well, I've, I appreciate that. Uh, I really do because I what I've decided to do is uh, I can still rail against it. I mean, a big problem and reason why I am burnt out is just how dishonest political discourse is. I mean, and even when people are being honest, the the name of worse. the game is to win. It's not yeah, to necessarily tell the truth, and it is it's getting worse. worse. It very much is getting worse. Um, and That's I don't, very depressing. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just the, the speed of information and all the different sources of information. It's sort of a, a working theories out there that I have. I think social media has a great deal to do with it. where Everybody's in their own yeah. echo chamber.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that the social media echo chamber has a, a very, very bad positive feedback loop mechanism that just you know, if you don't like what somebody says, you defriend them, and then you seek out other friends that agree with you. And you know, in that way, you, you you sort of become very insular in what you hear and what you listen to, and you become reaffirmed in your own opinions without ever having to challenge them, you know, without ever having to deal with cognitive dissonance. Um, so...
0: Well, in the tone of yeah. uh, when you're online... And you're not having to look at somebody face-to-face in person. I mean, the way people talk to one another online, they do not talk to each other in person. If they did, there would be a lot of... They scream at each other. Yeah, there would be actual fights in person. (laughs) um if if people spoke that way to one another it's i just sometimes i you know i've talked to a lot of folks about this and when somebody just immediately comes out of nowhere uh with me disagreeing with me it's one thing if somebody disagrees like i had a great discussion the other night i talked to this guy i just met saying i i think i'm an atheist though you know maybe the variety of how jordan peterson is though he isn't an atheist Uh, i believe in you know archetypes and old stories and you know, you know, big traditions in life, there's a lot to learn, and he had a great discussion about he's a believer, but then somebody else came into the conversation and was just mean to me. Like, oh, you know, because you don't pray to God, this is probably why you're a boring person. Like, just attacking, and I, I let her have the moment. But it, No, that's not cool. But I kind of had this thought in my head, and I've seen it in political discussions, whatever type of discussion, it's like when somebody starts attacking me I wonder, like, what's going on in their mind? What, What is their experience? Like, they're not just attacking me. There's something else. There's some baggage. It
1: is not personal. Yeah, I mean, you have that right. Yeah, if, if they're reacting viscerally, viscerally like that, it's not about you. It's about them. But still, <laughs> what happened to people sort of moderating their reactions to people? I mean, you're right. It's, it's, it's like, you know, this barrier of the keyboard and the and the computer screen emboldens people to be rude.
0: <laughs> well, and yet there's always in the libertarian space seems to be a lot of drama. Um, and I, my working theory, let's see if you agree with this, is that actually the libertarian groups are not that different than any other group. They're just smaller. Yeah, not that, yeah. So the problems are more amplified. Yeah,
1: in any organization, any church group, any school, any political party, there is going to be drama, and it's not going to be too different from what we're experiencing in the liberty circles. Um, I I took organizational behavior at the business school at UNC, and it taught me so much about how people interact and how groups behave, and I mean, you'll you'll see these patterns anywhere you go, Mm. so we're not that special, but... (laughs) I, I read a quote from Henry Kissinger, who was a university professor, that I, I just love because it sums up libertarian politics. He was talking about university politics, where hmm. he taught. He said, the reason that university politics is so vicious is because the stakes are so small. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that, that's libertarian. Yes. <laughs> We're fighting so viciously over basically
0: nothing. Right. We have no power. <laughs> my, what you said there makes so much sense to me. It's not necessarily a libertarian example. The first campaign I ever worked on, and I think it was kind of my last, was a local school board campaign. And when I went to a board meeting, I'm like, wait, these are the adults running things, and they're fighting over what? <laughs> uh, it, you just give people a little bit of power, and it corrupts. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: But see, the the opposite, like, I was looking for the opposite, you know, when the stakes are actually big, when when you're in, in the halls of power, when mm. you're in Congress, and I was there. So, like, I, I, I sort of measured this against, you know, when the stakes are big, are people more polite? And I think it's true. Uh, I, I noticed, I mean, I was surprised coming from out in the grassroots, To go to Washington D.C. and oh my goodness, are people gonna are different congressmen? Are they gonna come to Fisticuffs in the cafeteria? I was like so excited to see what is what is it all like, but no, they're they're actually quite polite to each other um, because the stakes are high. So I mean, life is weird that way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think uh, Remy from uh, often this stuff gets posted on Reason. Uh, Oh, he's awesome. I love him. He's so funny. And he had one about, you just want people to die. And he looks across and goes, you just want people to die. Dinner later? Yeah, all right. And and I think. They do that for the camera, though. Yep. Behind the scenes,
1: they're very nice.
0: And that makes complete sense to me. It's kind of like you're. you're It's bad faith. And by bad faith, I mean people play these roles because they think society is what they want, it, that's what the people want. And I suggest the other day, maybe if we think our politicians lie, steal, cheat, or dishonest, hypocritical, maybe, just maybe, they actually reflect and represent the people who vote for them. But that's rude. That's absolutely... I just made millions of mm-hmm. people angry. Um, I
1: mean, there's something to be said for the idea that we get the leaders that we deserve
0: mm yes
1: uh, but on the other I mean there's more to it though I there mean is. that's not entirely fair because the way the establishment is set up the way the political wheels are sort of you know the way they grind and how they're just set in a course you know they're in like ruts like a like a like a wagon trail you know we're just sort of stuck in a rut yeah th- th- the way our politics are it- it's kind of difficult to change like it- it's difficult to to get an incumbent voted out of office, it's very difficult to primary somebody who's, who's an incumbent. you know. So, um, yeah, it, it's very frustrating because, you know, on the one hand, it, it, if everybody paid attention, if everybody woke up and they really voted for, you know, someone who deserved the power, who would treat it with respect and, and be a good steward of that power then yeah we would have different leaders but then on the other hand people are busy working and paying taxes and (laughs) it's kind of it's very labor intensive to do all that for the difference that one vote makes so i mean if if you're into economics you look at the economics of your time commitment to research the different candidates and and try to look beyond the I, I'm trying to think of a the, the bull crap
0: right. Like yes. beyond
1: that. Uh, it, it it takes a lot of time. It's very difficult. and then the chances that your one vote will make a difference. So you know rationally speaking, it it's it's difficult to make the case that people should be aware. But when they don't, you know when we have masses of people that don't vote or they 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 basically toss a coin, they don't know anything about who they're voting for. You
0: know, I mean, here we are. We get these kinds of results. Yep. And I mean, and, and your vote, even if you are the most informed person, or you dedicate yourself to it, and you're always studying, giving your opinion, figuring out what's going on, your vote on election day counts just as much as the person says, I'm voting for Hillary because it's the same name as my cat. And like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it's just as valid. Just as valid. Or I'm going to vote for
1: all of the women just because I think more women should be in power. Right. You know?
0: Basically random. I mean, when I was young, I
1: voted like that.
0: Well, let's (laughs) give that the old college try, is what I have been saying for the last few years. Let women run things, and then we'll really test to see if power actually corrupts everybody, and not just men. Just to prove the point. I'm willing to go Um, through hell if that happens. Yeah, I mean,
1: when I was naive, I I, I, I thought one way, and then... (laughs) And then I, I looked at Nancy
0: Pelosi.
1: Oh, my. <laughs> and I'm like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bad, that's a bad litmus test.
0: <laughs> now, I'm, I'm interested in, uh, is there a story that you love to tell from your time working for Congressman Paul? You said you were his press secretary?
1: Yeah, I was his press secretary. So I was his media gatekeeper of sorts. Um, not of sorts. I, I was his gatekeeper in in the congressional office, and so uh, oh, I got to. He, he was pretty popular at the time. Oh. I got to talk to some celebrities, and um, well, I mean, mostly I, I just I got to spend a lot of quality time with him and see him in action day to day, and and that was awesome. Um, he he is exactly who you think he is. Hmm. He's he's just a nice, nice guy. <laughs> Who um, ha, has has seen a lot of frustrating things and manages to keep his cool somehow?
0: <laughs> oh, I, I but, believe it. I think I heard one story where fellow congressmen were coming up to him saying, "How do you raise money like you do?" And It's like, "Well, advocate the positions I advocate." Uh, yeah, yeah, like uh, yeah.
1: Have some principles right. for one, but I mean that just that doesn't work, you know. There's, there's been people that have been principled that come and go, and, you know, stars don't align for them like they did for Dr. Ball.
0: Well, when I first um, saw Ron Paul, I think it was in 08, uh, I have to admit to you, Rachel, that I, and this goes into how there are so many things involved in politics. There's principle, there's having the facts, there's, I mean... General wisdom, just judging who you want to take money from, who you want to put on your campaign staff in your uh, legislative office, all these things. But I was not hooked by Ron Paul in 08. Um, That's my freshman year in college, because I was a sucker for oratory. And I didn't find Ron Paul the uh, the Cicero of our age. I thought, okay, he's got some interesting ideas, but he's not hooking me in with the drama, uh, which is a shame.
1: yeah, I mean, that's also a, a bad litmus test for, for leadership, unfortunately. Oh, it is. <laughs> it
0: is. Um, and I, I, looking back now, I've watched some of those debates uh, Ron Paul was in. It was amazing what he was saying. Incredible yeah. what he was saying. Yeah,
1: in soundbite form. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, he- and no wonder it was going above most people's heads. I, I think you had to sort of have thought about these issues a little bit before you heard Ron Paul talk about them. For it to sort of click. Right. And I mean, it, what was so encouraging was that obviously a lot of people had been thinking about this, and here was this man on stage saying what we were all thinking. But not enough people have thought deeply enough about these issues right. <laughs> for him to sort of get over that hump, that establishment hump, to put him over the finish line. But we've got Rand. You know, I, I'm. I'm a. I, I know some people who were died in the wool fans of Ron Paul are are disillusioned with Rand, but not me. I I have opinions about that. I mean, I I saw Rand before he was a senator come into the office. I sort of saw him watch his father's political career, and you know, my theory on that is he sort of watched his father. I mean, it, it's sitting congressman, so it's not nowhere he's in congress having a vote right you know so not nowhere but i think rand watched his father make these principles stand and be sort of intractable on a lot of issues where in rand's mind he could have made more progress by doing things a little differently and that's what i think rand is doing um it's it's his turn to try it his way but i i think you know Inside, he's got the same principles as his father, which, you know, he's just, he's trying to be more strategic. Yes. Which, you know, uh, Dr. Paul was uh, principled above strategy, but I think Rand is, you know, I wouldn't say strategic above principle, but, you know, maybe...
0: Both. <laughs> well, and I've, I've learned with Rand and with all politicians for the most part. Uh, occasionally, I was telling you off air, I'll get worked up. But uh, I've mellowed out, mostly because I I remember this line. I think George Carlin said it. If you uh, scratch a cynic, you'll see a disappointed idealist. And uh, yeah. I, I think there are a lot of people that came in, especially the Ron Paul revolution, very idealistic. And we're disappointed. So they said, ah, to hell with this. And if you you don't constantly pull the, the principled party line, then you're a traitor to the cause or something like that. Where I see Rand makes uh, great stands here or there. And at times yeah. you do have to say, if you're a sitting senator and you have an opportunity to talk to the sitting president, play golf with him, at least get a good rapport with him. And you, you've got his ear. You do. Yeah. It. Yeah, you have to do that.
1: Uh, You you know,
0: and to some extent, whatever he's had to do to get there,
1: probably a good choice. Right. Well... I mean, I'm sorry. That's just
0: how I feel. Well, uh, I want to... Now, you said... I'd imagine working with Ron Paul was this inspiring thing, really lit the fire within. Like, we're, we're moving, we're doing, we're... Are you? Where do you stand, kind of, with politics today? You're saying the discourse seems worse. Are Are you? I don't know if you're as cynical as I am, because that's pretty damn cynical. I don't want to wish this on anybody. I'm pretty
1: cynical right now, but but I am able to recognize in myself that I'm just in a down phase. Mm. You know, I'm I'm curmudgeonly right now. Um, but I, you know, it, but it, it's gonna take something. It's gonna take a spark of encouragement for me to come back. And maybe Jordan Peterson is that, actually, for me. Even though he's not political, there's something very encouraging about the, the, the things he's saying and the popularity that he's gaining. Um, mm. It's very encouraging to me. Um, but, but I did want to touch on one thing that you mentioned about how all the Ron Paul kids are getting disillusioned. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, it's frustrating to watch this, and this, this might be part of the problem is... Okay, so... What happened was all of these kids were brought into politics, and they didn't have the stomach for uh, disappointment yet. So, you know, they set up all this infrastructure, this wonderful movement, idealistic infrastructure that we have. And, I mean, the scary thing to watch is when you go to meetings in various places, you'll, you'll see that opportunistic type <laughs> the alt-right um, <laughs> coming in and and sort of it, who don't share our ideals coming in and sort of taking over that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really scary. Um, like the Libertarian Party is, is seeing like heavy infiltration from some elements that are pretty nasty in my opinion. And it's uh, you know, this is we we've sort of created a vacuum with our cynicism by not sticking to our guns and and standing our ground. You know, and I'm guilty of this too. Right. <laughs> um, you know, this this is the problem that we have to defend against. Is there's some people without the numbers and the enthusiasm to set up what we set up themselves. So they're coming over and they're taking over, like. Our organization um, right. which is bad.
0: Well, and I
1: and they're they're giving us a bad name.
0: Well, I haven't seen that on the ground, and I'm not as intimately familiar with maybe some of the infrastructure you're talking about. Uh, is certainly not as much as you would be. But I kind of looking at it from my uh, curmudgeonly perch here on radio. I I sort of saw this coming. Um, I wrote a piece. The, the time is playing tricks on me, Rachel. It had to be a year ago, maybe two years ago. Uh, but I think Fee titled it, uh, Plain Politics Can Be Fun Until It Unleashes Hell. But the main yeah. thrust of that article came from a short story I read by uh, Charles Bukowski, and it's simply called Politics. And It starts off with saying, when I was at City College in L.A., I decided I wanted to pretend to be a Nazi. Where, I mean, so essentially there's this degenerate drunk, even in college, he starts pretending to be a Nazi because it got a rise out of people. He'd take a swig of wine from his locker, go into class and say a bunch of racist crap and Nazi stuff and get people worked up. And he got a bunch of degenerate friends who would follow him. And he thought it was fun oh to take on these preppy kids, uh, you know, the, the good American boys and girls, and shock them. It was fun. It was funny. You know, Is that funny. Milo
1: Yiannopoulos? Exactly. But there's <laughs> or this Richard one, Spencer? There's oh a,
0: one point in the story where he realizes he's gone too far. There's a communist speaker outside the school, and one of his acolytes walks up to him and uh, has a whole bag of actual rotten tomatoes. And the character, main character says, put those away. And the guy goes, "Ah, piss. I wish they were hand grenades. And he, there's one line, I can't remember it verbatim, but he realized I'd lost my followers that day, and they hadn't heard a word the speaker was saying. And I guess a lot of politics <laughs> is like that. And I, saw, I read that story and went, that's the alt-right. There are a lot of people, I think, playing... Who are do just have fun and like trolling, but out of that cynicism, out of that vacuum, you get opportunists that take you down a dark path potentially. Um, and it's Yeah It's uh it's something to worry about. But we gotta hit a quick break, uh, Rachel. And I when we okay. come when we come back, I want to hit on uh, something I'm seeing happening with libertarians, but with a lot of people of all political stripes. It has something to do with Jordan Peterson, but I think people when they realize, I can't necessarily change the world in the way I hope to, I can change myself. And so on the other side of this break, we'll continue to talk about that. Again, my guest tonight, folks, is Rachel Mills, and the album of the day is The Captain of Me, Doobie Brothers, 1973. We'll be right back. Joey Clark. of the day, once again, is the captain and me. This is Dark-Eyed Cajun Woman. Really but we can't just sit here and listen to music. We're going to keep talking. My guest this evening over the phone is Rachel Mills. And where we left off, Rachel, is... Uh, well, this is how I approached it. I'm just speaking from my own experience. I realize I'm, I'm not really interested in saving or changing the world that much. And it does seem futile in many ways, at least through politics. Uh, but I can change myself, and hopefully that will have ripple effects. Have you noticed that with, say, your your fellow political junkies? That I mean, we still watch the news, and we're hip to what's going on, but it seems like there's a lot of personal betterment that's going on these days.
1: Well, you, that's a good thing. I mean, maybe people are doing some inner reflection as their relationships fall apart, and their lives fall apart, and they, you know, everyone's on pills for depression and anxiety. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it's time we do a little, a little soul searching and don't just, you know, scream on the internet and <laughs> take <laughs> our meds, you know? Maybe, maybe we need a little bit, a little bit more housekeeping, so to speak, of our own lives, you know, in in order to make the world a better place. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, since listening to Jordan Peterson, I've, Cleaned up my room. I've tried to become more organized. Um, I, it's not perfect, Oh, right. <laughs> but yeah, one of his rules is set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. And I'm like, oh my goodness, why? Well, I, I got to do some cleaning, you know, really fast because I got some things to say.
0: <laughs> well, and it's about taking responsibility for life. Now, uh, I'm guessing. I think your mother, like, I mean, you've taken responsibility a lot more than I have in my own life. I'll put it that way. I'm just guessing here, just getting to know you. Uh, but for well, me, it, it has been. Um, well, I've been doing yoga because it's awesome and it works. Huh. Get, and Well, and
1: you're younger. You you are in a different place in life than me. Um, hmm. So yeah, that's you're you're you'll get there.
0: Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll get there. But taking responsibility, I think, is a a huge thing and. It's always, when you hear that, it's sort of that stern, lecturing father figure comes to mind. But uh, I think it's incredibly important that... uh, I was having a conversation the other night with my good friend 84, uh, Clay Sharp, who comes on the show often. And we were thinking about the memories that stick with us. And the ones that stick with us the most are... Pain and suffering, like if you... It could be something as simple as when you're a little kid and you hit your head on something. Like I cut open my finger with an apple slicer when I was five. I remember that vividly. But the other one that really sticks with you is when you took responsibility for something, whether you succeeded or failed or however you want to measure it. Those are the memories that always seem to come back. And it seems to me that this philosophy if you will just a basic self-help guide resonates so well uh, with the philosophy of liberty and in fact I think Ron Paul himself talked about taking responsibility very often
1: yeah often that seemed to be drowned out in the whole liberty movement the whole focus on politics we focus on small government but then you know the flip side of that is personal responsibility and sometimes we forget that part, (laughs) you know, we, we talk about drugs and drug legalization um, to to the point where it almost sounds like we're advocating for drug use, but we're not, you know, Um, that's not the point. The point is we need the government to step back and let us sort a few things out for our own and treat us like grown ups. you know, the, the government does not need to make a policy for everything. And whenever a problem arises, we need to really steady our hand and our calls for government to fix things and, and formulate some policy and from that formulate a slew of laws that will put people in prison and probably have the opposite effect. I mean, you look at the shooting in Parkland mm. and, and you look at the, um, the, the policy towards Teenage delinquency that that police department had—it's um, it, 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 mind-boggling. Have, have you read about this?
0: Yeah, where it was essentially they were going for grant money, and instead of actually having reduced uh, instances of yeah. crime or discipline, they just papered over it.
1: Yeah, so so you look at the the intention behind that federal policy was to reduce the the. School to prison pipeline, which is a a good enough motivation. That sure. you know, that's all well and good. But then the only hammer that they have, the only tool they have, is money. So then, what they and and then the only feedback they have is statistics. So they they give grant money to people with better statistics. You know, so the police department seeing ah, well we we need to show them that we have a smaller number of kids that we're arresting so that we can get this grant money. And what it turns into is the federal government is paying them not to punish crime right. when it's committed by, by juveniles and, you know, teenagers. So <laughs> you can see how the, the intention is one thing, but the policy and it, it affects, it has the opposite effect. You know, so you you end up with kids that behave badly and shoot 17 of their classmates and teachers, you know, and that's not a good outcome. So, you know, and and Jordan Peterson talks a lot about, uh, a lot about parenting and, you know, discipline, which is an ancient concept that I, I think a few generations have sort of forgotten about. And so, what we have, especially, I mean, not especially, but you know, in our Liberty circles, we, we have a lot of unschoolers and I don't agree Mm. with that, you know, because, and and even homeschooling, um, it, it can be a good thing. You you just, you have this idea that, Oh, I'm going to pull my kids out of school. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Win the national spelling bee, (laughs) (laughs) it (laughs) doesn't, um, it, it doesn't happen that way. And, 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 um, Someone who is sort of known in, in the homeschool community admitted to me that a lot of people, for a lot of people, it's, it's just a lot of work to get your kids ready in the morning and then tackle their homework at night. You right. know, it's just easier not to send them to school sometimes. Um, so we, we, just, we have a lot of hands-off parenting with peaceful parenting and unschooling on all of that. But even before that, you know, a lot, a lot of the parenting techniques that, that you and I grew up with were, you know, even more hands-off than what Jordan Peterson advocates. So, um, and, and I, I think that's created a, a big thirst for sort of the, the heavy-handed, clean your room, look after yourself, bucko. You know, that, right. that kind of message, there's a thirst for that because they haven't gotten that from, from their parents.
0: Well, it, resonated with, it resonates with me, and it resonated with me so much when I first heard Jordan Peterson, because it was kind of something I've been uh, kicking around in my mind for a while. Uh, It's like, oh, finally, somebody's giving voice to not only the self-help stuff, but a nuanced discussion about religion, a nuanced discussion about ideology and its role in politics. I was like, I don't always agree with Jordan Peterson, but it's just fantastic to see somebody. Well,
1: you're
0: wrong, probably. Well, most likely. (laughs) Rachel, you only are just getting to know me. I don't think you know how wrong I often am. I'm just, I'm I'm such a project. Um, (laughs) But what really, well, one thing that freaked me out was um, after the shooting of the church in Texas, um, that weekend that happened, a a client of mine gave me a a book, because he heard me talking about religion on air, called uh, Confession by Leo Tolstoy. And I read the book over the weekend, and very bleak. Um, maybe that's growing up in Mother Russia. Uh, but Tolstoy essentially decides life is a stupid joke. There are a few ways you can approach that, either childlike ignorance or just carrying on, as he puts, licking the honey of life, all these uh, diversions or distractions. Or, um, you know, just trudge along like a human eeyore or kill yourself. Those are the four options. Yeah, nihilism. And yeah. I uh, I made the point on air on Monday that uh, Leo, Mr. Tolstoy, is leaving out option five, which is don't take it out on yourself, kill others, then take it out on yourself. And Yeah, and,
1: and what Peterson f- talks about this. Yeah,
0: that's what freaked me out. I'm reading 12 Rules for Life, and he pulls the exact same quote. <laughs> like, there's a lot of yeah. parallel thinking going on here, and it's just refreshing to hear somebody speak about, say something like school shooters or mass shootings as, it's oh, it's not the video games, it's not something's wrong with society, we're desensitized of violence. No, he's talking about a personal issue, that this is what happens it's what's happened for thousands of years in human history when somebody falls into despair that this yeah. violence occurs. It, yeah,
1: it, it, it's a spiritual problem because people have trouble finding meaning in life and it's not just you know, the person who does the shooting. It's, it's like a, a widespread problem. If you Let's see, it was Johan Hari that wrote a book recently about uh, psychiatry and depression and how everything you think you know about those medications and the treatment of depression is, is probably wrong. And it, it fits well with Jordan Peterson, what he's saying about this issue. So we, we have a bunch of kids who were growing up with a lack of meaning and anger and, you know, parents are divorced and, you know, they, they have a lot of drama in their life already, even at a very young age. And when we notice that they're having some some trouble, some emotional trouble, what do we do? We send them to a psychiatrist who spends five, 15 minutes with them, whatever, and throws a prescription at them. So, you know, without really addressing any of this of this underlying you know spiritual turmoil that they're in right so what you've got is you've got a nihilistic um, angry child that we've just given a prescription to reduce their inhibition you know to reduce their their uh, their 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 sense of you know responsibility what could possibly go wrong All right <laughs> i mean
0: it's it's crazy if you
1: look at how we're
0: Treating this spiritual problem, it's a wonder it doesn't happen more often. It, it, it is, and I'm, I'm happy it doesn't. Um, but here's my big takeaway from tonight, and somewhat from our discussion, Rachel. Uh, I was very much, especially leaving college in 2011, I was very much that, not utter despair, but I was not necessarily happy with myself and the world. And I thought... That oh, I can jump into politics and that'll give me all this meaning and a cause. It might get you you by. Yeah, change the world, and it might get you by for a little while. But I think there's a rude awakening, and it can happen right out of college. It can happen when you're 18 years old. It can happen when you're 40, 50, 60 years old when you first get involved in politics. I worry sometimes people put too much hope in oh, politics is how we change the world. Politics is how I find meaning and community. And almost you, the state has become synonymous with community, which I, again, think is very dangerous and takes away that personal responsibility to build community yourself.
1: Yeah, you, you have to worry a little bit about putting too much of your identity in a cause. Mm. Because what, what happens, well, you, you might not uh, make any progress with the cause, but what happens when you do? Like, what happens if you put everything you have, uh, every part of you behind legalizing marijuana? And then it gets legalized. What do you do? <laughs> well, you need to have a plan. You need to have something else. It's the same with parenting. You can't wrap your identity up in, like, motherhood or fatherhood. You, you've got to have, you know, some other part of yourself. You know, you've got to find that. And that's not, I mean, that's, that can be easier said than done. But you, know, you have to have balance. And Jordan Peterson talks, I, I mean, I find a lot of balance in what he's saying.
0: I, I do too, and well, and that's what he teaches about great myths and traditions is that, say, the father figure, there's a tyrannical father, there's a, a protecting good father, um, and the mother's the same way. Every type has a positive-negative side to it, um, but, you know, maybe the, you fight for legalization of marijuana and you get it wasn't a good example because I immediately have an answer. You light one up and you watch Ric Flair promos. Like that, <laughs> it's a great evening. I don't know what I'm going to do the next day. Right. Well, I figure it out the next day. Oh, well, I, I really appreciate you joining me tonight. I'd, I'd love to have you back on. This has been a fun kind of freewheeling discussion. Um, and maybe yeah, we thank could, you so much. Yeah, we could maybe focus on a particular topic. i treated this kind of as like getting to know you. Um, I've, I've seen you around uh, on social media and all the way back to Liberty.me a few years ago. So it's been a pleasure <laughs> talking to you. Um, thank
1: you so much. Um, and, and again, uh, my newer, my newish podcast yes. is Rachel for President. But it's not that I'm running for president. It's just sort of a tongue-in-cheek way to sort of format um, my thoughts about, you know, well, if I, was, if I was running things, if I was in charge around here, things would be a little bit different. So and it, it's, it's just my tongue-in-cheek way of, of saying those things.
0: I assume so, or else I was going to think you're a little crazy you're not gonna <laughs> don't do that don't to like yourself
1: the job. do not write
0: me in <laughs> yeah, don't do that to her that would be a terrible terrible torture well, Rachel I, job in the world yes well I, I hope you have a good night and uh, closing out the show here so
1: thank you
0: thank you again folks that was Rachel Mills check out our podcast Rachel for president and join me again tomorrow night I'll talk to you all then Tata.
1: Jillian.